1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would please, in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you may listen to me as I read the verses. If this is your first time to Sparrow Baptist Church, I want to thank you so much for coming. You honor us with your presence. Uh, Our church is almost five years old, so it's a COVID baby. Eh? That's true. So for two years, we met as the government allowed us to. Uh, There was actually only three months that we couldn't meet at all, according to the government regulations. And we followed the regulations the entire time. And, uh, and this building stayed open for us. Um, again, according to the regulations, they allowed us to do that. We were spaced out um, and maxed up and all that stuff. But uh, God met with us in a very special way during, those, uh, year and, during that year and a half, two years time. And uh, we're uh, not thankful for COVID, but we can be thankful for what God can do for us during a difficult time. And he really helped to settle the church and bring us closer together to really care for one another and pray for one another. And, uh, and it was Easter, if you remember, last year when the government completely went, did away with all of the masking rules and all those kinds of things. And that allowed people to feel a bit more comfortable coming uh, and meeting together. And so uh, we kind of feel like this is our one-year anniversary in a way of really being able to celebrate Easter um, in a very open manner. And we're so thankful that we can meet together. But if you haven't noticed yet, again, if you're a visitor or if you've only been a few times, um, we are an honest and genuine kind of a church. We are who we are. We're not professional showmen, right? No dancing. Um, we don't have any of the uh, software where it corrects our voice and the auto-tuner and all that kind of stuff. It is what it is. But honestly, isn't that what life is? It's taking God's truth and applying it to our lives individually. He, listen, he is the perfection in our lives. He does not, he requires of us to do our best, but he does not require of us perfection. And, uh, and it's by his grace that we are able to meet together and by his grace that we have Sparrow Baptist Church. And so very thankful for this church, very thankful for each and every one of you and your faithfulness to the Lord as you attend Sparrow Baptist Church. The heart of our church is to help people, to help people find faith in Christ and to grow in that faith. And, uh, and so we'll take uh, just a few minutes uh, and if you've heard me preach before that, you're thinking it's not going to be a few minutes. Um, it, we usually go between 30 minutes and 40 minutes, so you can kind of get your mind prepared for that. But what we like to do is we like to preach very textual messages, meaning when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, when I leave, I kind of want to know what it's about, at least a sort of a little bit. Now, we may not be able to go through every single word, but it's very... I, I, Again, the kind of church that I want to go to is a place where you can learn what the Bible actually says, right? Uh, The internet is filled with people's opinions. Men, women, learned, unlearned, literate, illiterate. It doesn't matter. The the opinions are out there. But when we come to, to to the church of God, it ought to be to learn God's word. And so that's our intent this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 And we'll look at verse number 12 through 20, as we can see on the screen here. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20, it says this. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen... Then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins." Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. The title of the message this morning is, If Christ 
be not raised. What's the big deal about the resurrection of Christ? We need to ask that question. There are so many other religions that follow gods or goddesses that don't make this claim. To them, it's unimportant. So why is it so important to us as Christians that Christ rose from the dead? And so that's what we're going to take the time to study in this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for an opportunity to worship you in song, to worship you in loving fellowship one with another, and to worship you through receiving your word through teaching and preaching. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless this time together. Certainly not because I'm speaking, but because your word is being preached. I pray that your Holy Spirit would use this word in our hearts, that our faith may be strengthened, and that would have a direct result in how we live our life. Once again, Father, if someone is here today, you are the Father of spirits, and you know every heart. If someone is here today and they've never yet placed their faith and trust in you for salvation, please help them to make that decision today and very soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to start out with just kind of explaining a little bit about what's going on here. Now, we know that this book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meaning God is the one that told him these specific words in which to write down, but he's addressing an issue. And with each chapter, almost every chapter, there's a different issue that is, that is covered, but he's writing to a church. He's writing to the church in the town of Corinth, and that's why it's called the Corinthians or to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. And he gets to chapter number 15 and he addresses the most important uh, teaching the second most important teaching in all of Christianity, which is the resurrection of Christ. Now, as we look at these verses, if you go back to verse number 12, it says, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Meaning, this is the issue that he's dealing with here. There are people that were coming to the church at Corinth and suggesting and even teaching that there is no resurrection of any of the dead, meaning when we die, we're done. And the Apostle Paul takes issue with that because the resurrection of the dead is a foundational truth of Christianity. It's a foundational truth, meaning that because Christ rose from the dead, it means that we also will rise from the dead. We will either rise to the judgment of the just or of the unjust. When we die, it is not over. Amen? Amen. Again, if you're interested in being vocal, that's perfectly fine. Please don't start screaming and running laps around everybody. That will make us all feel very awkward. I'm just teasing. But please don't do that. <laughs> okay. So we can see here right away, the topic of chapter 15 is the resurrection. And this is really, if we're going to kind of give a title to the entire chapter, if, if Christ be not raised, that's really the, the topic of the entire chapter. I want us to see here, when we go back to verse number one, we'll begin with verse number one. And the first thing that we see here is Paul addresses the doubts that they had about the resurrection. Can I just encourage us that God is a God that wants to engage us with our doubts. Jesus Christ is not afraid of our doubts. The church at Corinth had doubts about his resurrection because it was suggested that perhaps he did not rise from the dead or perhaps no one rises after they are dead. Meaning when you're dead, you're done. And we can see here that our God is not a God that just ignores our doubts. If you have a doubt about God, about God's word, about Jesus, about his ministry, about the resurrection, about anything, 
God invites you to bring those doubts to him. What a God. Isn't that the kind of God that we could love? Isn't that the kind of God that we would want to serve? A kind of God where if I have doubts, Jesus says, let's talk about this. Let's engage. He writes a chapter. And again, of course, in the original autographs, there weren't chapters and verses. But for our sake of understanding and to be able to find them more quickly, they were put in a bit later. But 58 verses were dedicated to this one doubt. He wanted to take this doubt that they had. And if, listen, if they were willing, some people are, their religion is skepticism. They want to be skeptical about everything. Well, I don't believe anything. Everything's doubtful. Well, are you sure about that? Or are you skeptical about the skepticism? Come on now. Amen. If we're willing to listen, if we're willing to take what God has to say, he will take our doubts and he will dispel the doubt. He will chase it away just like the sunlight chases away the darkness. It's exactly what he does. And so the first thing that we see here is that Paul addresses the doubts with truth and proofs. It says in verse one, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. So now he is simply coming to them when we're talking about doubts about the resurrection, if Christ be not raised, he's coming at them simply from the very first thing when it comes to being a Christian. He comes back at them with the gospel. You're doubting about the resurrection. Let's go back to the moment that you trusted Christ as your savior. What was it that you believed? That's an important question. By the way, some people want to make these sorts of claims that, well, if you're really a Christian, you'll never have doubts. Well, these people did. Is that true? Were they real believers? Were they genuine born again believers? Yeah. God says, look, I understand that you are, you're human beings. You're frail. Satan is the father of lies. He's a liar and the father of lies, the Bible teaches us. And one of the ways that he gets us to not walk in the faith the way that we should is by introducing doubts into our minds. And God says, I'm not angry with you about doubting. Amen. What a God. Again, what what a God. He's not angry with us about doubting. He says, let's talk about the beginning. What was the beginning? Well, he's going back, as he says here in verse number one, he says, Corinthians, let's talk about the beginning of your story. When I first came to Corinth and I preached unto you, what was it that I delivered unto you? And he says here, I delivered, I declare, declare, preach, right? He declared the gospel. I declare to you the gospel, which I preached unto you. Listen, we need to hear the gospel again and again and again and again and again, because as we hear it again and again and again, it increases our faith and strengthens our faith. I don't know about you, but my wife is the cook in our home. And sometimes it's the men, but in our particular family, that's what she does. And she's an amazing cook. And oftentimes throughout the week, we will have similar meals. Like on Tuesday, we have something. And on Wednesday, we always have soup. Praise God for good soup. That's all I'm going to say. Right? And so on and so forth. The gospel is like one of those meals that you can just kind of, you need to be able to eat over and over. It's so incredibly nutritious. That is where we find our identity. That is where we find the strength and the faith to dispel those doubts. And he comes back and he teaches them, what was it that I came and I gave you from the very beginning? He doesn't come to them with a different message. He comes to them with the same message. I want to go to a church where I can hear the gospel. Yes, I've been saved. I got saved when I was 16 years old, July 25th, 1999. Yes, I'm 40 years old if you're doing the math. Birthday's in August. Okay? But I need to hear the gospel over and over and over again because if you're not careful, the doubts that you have 
about God and about his word, that will become your identity. This is who I am. And and when they're dealing with doubts, the apostle Paul comes back and he says, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the day that you were born again. What was it that you believed? My friend, was there a day that you trusted Christ as your savior? If you're having doubts about God, maybe it's because you've never trusted Christ as your savior. You've never received the gospel. He comes back at them, teaching them the same message, the repetitious message of the gospel. He says, which I preached unto you, meaning back then, which also ye have received, they believed it, and wherein ye stand, meaning they're currently saved. Once you get saved, you're always saved. If you have ever been saved, you are currently saved. He's saying you're standing in the gospel. You're absolutely saved. Um, verse two, by which also ye are saved, meaning by the gospel ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, it doesn't mean if they, if, if they forget that they're not saved, he's, he's trying to remind them again, you are saved, so keep it in your memory. Don't wander away from the fact that you have trusted Christ as your savior. Unless you believed in vain. Verse three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I have received, how that this is the gospel. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I have received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Amen. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. If we look at verse number three, he says this, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received. The apostle Paul is speaking from experience. He had to get saved too. If we're gonna help people with their doubts, we have to know that we ourselves are saved. Amen? Amen? If we're going to live the life of faith, we have to know ourselves that we are saved. Notice, listen, notice the doubts of the Corinthians did not cause Paul himself to doubt. Those are your doubts. Sometimes if we're not careful, again, if we are not rooted and grounded in the word of God, we will hear someone doubting out there And all of a sudden, we will then take that to ourselves and say, well, maybe that's not. How do we fight off the doubts when we hear a doubt? We go back to the day that we're saved. Notice what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's saying the same thing to them that he's doing himself. He's saying, hey, guys, you're doubting about the resurrection. You need to go back to the gospel that you received, which I have received. This is how the Apostle himself encouraged himself in the faith. He did he had the power to work miracles. He did listen, he did not encourage himself in moments of doubt by going up to a sick person laying hands on them and taking away their sickness. Amen. He encouraged himself in the faith by going back to the day that he himself was saved. This is the greatest current day evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying you're doubting the resurrection. What did you receive? What did I receive? Notice what he says in verse number 10. Uh, Verse eight says, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that I'm not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, meaning it's not me, meaning it's not equal. It's not, it's, 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 not, it's not really fair in a sense for me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Christ had already ascended into heaven and yet I'm an apostle because I saw the resurrected Christ. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me 
was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He goes back to the moment that he himself was saved. He begins to talk about how he received the grace of God. He received the message. And when he received the message, it changed his life. He went from being a persecutor, someone whose job and whose passion was to hunt down Christians, not just in his hometown, but all over the area. Imagine the government commissioning you and your job and your passion, meaning the thing that you're most passionate about. You know, when people talk about finding your career, they say, what are you passionate about? Sometimes it takes a while to find that, by the way. And by the way, sometimes it's just a job. You just have to go to work. Uh, But the Apostle Paul, before he was saved, he loved it. He couldn't wait. The Bible says he would go from house to house. And he would try to find if there were Christians in those houses. And he would arrest them and drag them out. And sometimes he'd kill them. Sometimes he'd put them in jail. But he loved it. You know one of the reasons you know that you're saved and the Christ is resurrected? Because when you receive the gospel, your loves change. God changes your heart. And the things that you love, you don't love anymore if they're sinful and wrong. Doesn't, it doesn't obviously mean you, 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 you increase your love for your family. We're talking about bad things and negative things. The sins that you used to run to and the things that you used to be passionate about. His passion was completely turned around 180 degrees. You want to talk about how he knew that Christ was re- resurrected. He said, he changed my life. He changed me from being a persecutor, a hunter of human beings for their religious beliefs to becoming one of them. And he is now willing to suffer and be hunted himself. To be chased from country to country. To be bound. To be in, in a prisoner himself. To be a servant of the one that he used to curse. You see the heart change here? Has God changed you? Have you trusted him as your savior? Oh, I'm a Christian. You know, unfortunately, that means a lot of things nowadays. When he's saying that he's a Christian, when he's saying that he's a believer, what is he saying that he believes in? He's saying, and he's repeating and rehearsing that which he received. He is repeating and rehearsing the earliest creed in Christianity. This was one of the earliest creeds. Now, a creed, if you look up the definition of a creed, is a brief summary of the articles of the Christian faith. That which is believed in Webster's 1828 Dictionary. That's what the definition is. So remember, before this time, when Christ died on the cross, rose again from the dead, uh, Scripture was not immediately written. That didn't happen until about 30 years afterwards. So what was it that they said or what, how did they transmit this message? They transmitted it by coming up with this creed or this very simple statement of truth that people believed. And when they believed it, because it was the truth, it radically changed their life. They were born again. And this is the creed. The creed is this, as we see. Verse number three, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That is the first Christian creed that we see right there, which is the gospel, that he died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. When the Apostle Paul was doubting, not not when he was doubting, but when he was helping the Corinthians with their doubts about the resurrection, first of all, he goes back to the gospel that they believed. He then goes to his own experience of believing the gospel himself, and then he goes straight to that creed. This is what we believed, guys. I remember when I was, I grew up in church. I was a teenager, a kid going up through church ever since I can remember. We went, we went to gospel preaching churches. And I had doubts about my salvation. 
when I was 15 years old, 14 years old. I did not enjoy hearing gospel messages. I did not enjoy, before I was saved, I did not enjoy somebody teaching a story about Jesus. When I read my Bible, I always read in the Proverbs. I wouldn't read anything else. I didn't necessarily in my... I didn't consider myself to be a rebel. It's not like I hated church or anything like that. But I really didn't like it when somebody started talking about hell. When someone started talking about Jesus, it was more of like, ah, I already know that. What really bothered me was when people started talking like the Apostle Paul is talking here about evidence that you're saved. Because if you've truly trusted Christ as your Savior, it's going to change your life. It's impossible for the Son of God to go into a sepulcher and the grave couldn't hold him. He had to come back out. And yet for us to think that somehow I can accept him into my heart and it won't change me, it's impossible. It's impossible. And it's not biblical. And I couldn't think about anything that was different in my life. You know, some people have those stories, those testimonies of they lived an awful life of sin before they were saved. And when they heard the gospel, they finally got saved. God turned their life around and they stopped. They stopped being immoral. They stopped drinking. They stopped uh, doing drugs and they stopped doing this and they stopped doing that. And now they're in church and they love Jesus. And, and then some people have those kind of testimonies. I didn't have those kind of testimony. I, I was a church kid. But something was missing. It wasn't information. I knew the information. What was missing was a person. I remember waking up at night, the house being very still. And the first thought that I had Jesus came back. Now I'm doomed. And I remember 16 years old, running up the stairs to my parents' room and looking to see whether or not they were still alive. Honestly. Oh, I still have time to figure this out. I do this. Jesus, if I'm not saved, would you save me? I did that at least three times, four times. That's not how you get saved either. It's not if. You have to say, I am lost. I am a sinner. I am going to pay for my own sins in hell. Jesus, will you save me? But I wasn't ready to admit that yet. I wasn't convinced. I remember at the church we attended at the time, they would have several different types of tracks in the back, little leaflets. Literature explaining the gospel. And I thought, well, maybe I didn't say the prayer right. And I would take all the different tracks and I would read through them. Know that, know that. I could quote them. The Romans wrote. I knew all the verses. Then I'd look at the prayer. And I'm trying to, like, I'd compare them. Well, this one says this and that one says this. And this one says, repent. And this one just says, please, Jesus... And I would try to compare them all and try to find out maybe I'd left some of the words out that I needed to say. And you guys already know the answer. Finally. I was so tortured in my mind. I remember saying this prayer. Jesus, I don't understand if I'm saved or if I'm lost. Notice, I brought my doubts to him, just like he's doing here in this passage. You guys see that? There is incredible power in bringing your doubts to him. Doesn't matter what you're doubting. Bring your doubts to him. Jesus, I don't understand if I'm saved or if I'm lost. 
would you just show me one or the other? Because I couldn't decide in my own mind. I, I didn't really know one way or the other. And to be in that place of limbo is just absolute torture. A visiting speaker came two weeks after I prayed that prayer. He preached a sermon. Don't remember the sermon. At the end, he said some things that pastors sometimes say. You can't be baptized to go to heaven. Water didn't die for us. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. And then he said this, you can't pray a prayer good enough to take you to heaven. Because a prayer didn't die for you. A person died for you. And right there in that moment, the risen Christ in my heart, the Holy Spirit said, that's what you've been trusting because that's what I've been comparing on the back of those tracks. Did I say the prayer right? What did, I, what did I miss when I was little? Why do I have these doubts? And in that moment, I agreed with Jesus. Yes, that's what I've been trusting. And he said, will you trust me now? And in my heart right there, second, second row, 16 years old, almost 17, a couple weeks away from my 17th birthday. I said, yes. From, it is with the heart man believes under righteousness. Know what it says? Romans 10. It's with the heart man believes under righteousness. It's not with the head. It's with the heart. And then it says, and with the mouth, confession is made in salvation. Why does it say that? Because if you truly believe it with your heart, it will eventually come out of your mouth. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. It will change your life. And the first change the grace of God makes in the heart is it comes out of your mouth. Yeah. Now, for some people, that means they say a prayer out loud, and that's fine. But for me, it was me. I went forward and I said, I just got saved. You know what? There were no trumpets. The whole church didn't come shake my hand. Most of them are like, I thought you were already saved. I kept thinking, I'm going to have to get baptized again. But you know what? When you know you're on your way to hell and you know that there's a Christ that loves you and the only one that can save you. Baptism, what's that? Just water? What? He died on the cross for us. He hung there for six hours drenched in his own blood. The smallest thing I can do is go down and do a little bit of water with some people that are cheering for me, by the way. Supportive. One more story. We were blessed to be missionaries in the country of Nepal, over by India. We lived there for seven and a half years. When you graduate from college, as whether you graduate from Bible college or whatever college, when you graduate, you feel like you've just done something amazing. Your head is full of this knowledge. You think, I can do this career choice. I'm going to crush this, right? And then you get your first job and you think, oh man, this is much more different than I thought. Amen. Well, in the ministry, it's the same way. And maybe even to some degree, a little bit harder in, in, in a way. We raised the money we needed to raise for about two years. And then we went over to Nepal. So at this time, it was 2009. If you've ever been in a country where it, the overwhelming majority of every person and every building it is just covered in religious symbols, you constantly smell incense being burnt, you hear chanting, you hear bells being rung in worship, there is not one scrap of Christianity that you can see on a regular basis in countries like Nepal. Christmas time, nothing. Not even Santa Claus. Nothing. And you see thousands of people 
Everything that they do every day is determined by their religion. The clothes they wear, the necklaces that they wear, men and women, the the days that they go to work, you have idols that are literally covered in gold plating that cost probably millions of dollars. And in one house, and in the very next house, you'll see a small temple that kind of looks like almost like a bird cage or like a dollhouse with a little roof and a little shelf. And they've got a rock, literally. It looks like just a rock, but it's got just enough of a swell on this potato sized rock with a little bit of a kind of a raised ridge that to them, that means it's like Ganesh, the elephant, the, the, the Hindu God that has an elephant head and he's got the trunk. And so to them, they picked it up and put it in that and they, they worship it every day. They bring out fresh fruits, poor people that seem to barely have enough to eat. They take a portion of their food and they offer it to this and it just spoils flies, sometimes mice or rats. In Hinduism, they use marigolds, the flowers, for worship. They grow them everywhere and they're everywhere. And they put them out and of course they put them in front of the, the god or goddess and they shrivel and, and they sweep them up. Huge festivals. Walk through town, they take up the whole street chanting and drums and clanging and banging and incense and cheers. They have a particular time of year where they, in Kathmandu, that they still sacrifice goats. Meaning they go, there's one particular road, Exhibition Road is the road road name, Kathmandu, and the goat sellers bring their goats on trucks, these little trucks, and they line them up. We would potentially, in a Christian country, go find a Christmas tree at that particular time of year, but for them, they go pick out their goat. If you're rich, you get a big goat. If you're not quite as wealthy, you get a small one. And you go pick it out, and you'll just see people leading it home, or you'll, you'll get a taxi. Yeah, this is interesting. You're on your motorcycle in traffic and there's a goat looking right back at you out the back of the taxi. Yeah, you're not in Canada anymore, are you? Amen. You know what started happening after I'd been there about a year or two? Doubts. I'm going to church, but I'm going to a church and not hearing my language, trying to interpret Nepali. I wonder if there's somebody here today where English may not be your first language and you're starting to have some doubts. Singing the songs, knowing the music, but not knowing the words. Day after day, the doubts the doubts, the doubts, the doubts. And then you try to help your doubts by going and telling somebody about Jesus and they look at you like you're crazy. They've never heard his name before. And I remember two things. There is a conflict in some career choices and the ministry is one of these where you feel like that you can't quit if you want to quit. There's too much of a stigmatism. And I remember thinking the only way out is to kill myself. This can't be true. Nobody's believing this. This isn't working. Everything I was ever taught, it's not working the way I thought it would. I can't get out. 
I can't buy a ticket and go back home. I don't have money. I'm stuck. It seemed like everything that I saw every day was just a mockery. And doubts and doubts and doubts. And I was, man, I was beat up. All the classic signs of depression were there. Stayed inside all the time. Watched TV way too much. Read my Bible because I was supposed to, but not because I wanted to. Never praised the Lord. I went to church, didn't, didn't understand anything that was taking place. And I remember coming to the place in my heart where the doubts were so loud. Inside my brain was so dark. Late one night, I got out of bed, laid on the floor in prayer to Christ. And I just said, isn't it funny how in those times of deepest doubt, when you're not even sure that God is there, you still, your heart still cries out. God, I don't know what to do. I don't even know if you're real. I'll never forget this. Are you real? And in my heart, the Holy Spirit asked me two questions. Number one, are you saved? Notice he's doing the same thing to these folks in Corinthians. Are you saved? Do you know for sure if you died today that you go to heaven? The confidence in my heart genuinely overwhelming confidence. Yes, I know for sure I'm saved. Then he asked me the second question. Do you believe that Christ rose from the dead? Despite everything that you see, Beside, despite all of the so-called evidence that you see in the culture that you find yourself, Despite all of the festivals and despite all of the gods and goddesses and all of the incense and all of the noise and all of the doubt and all of the fear and despite what everybody in this world says, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Overwhelming evidence in my heart. Yes, I absolutely believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that on the third day He rose from the dead. And that's all God did for me that day is He asked me those two questions. Do you know that you're saved and do you know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead? And it was from that foundation that God began to build a new life of faith inside of me, not because I went to Bible college and not because I, went, uh, I was raised in a Christian home and not because I knew some Bible verses and not because I, 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 I married a good lady and not because I found myself for no other reason. And friends, I've got to ask you this question. Do you believe from the very depths of your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. The evidence is there. The truth is overwhelming. We could take the time and go to secular sources, Jewish sources from back in that day, if you don't want to believe the scriptures, that said that they attributed Christ rising from the dead to witchcraft, but his enemies said he rose from the dead. And scriptures are replete with the truth. Do you believe he rose from the dead? And have you trusted him as your savior? Because if he, if he died for our sins and rose from the dead, he did that for you. He did that for me. And it doesn't matter what your doubt. It doesn't matter what your fear. It doesn't matter what your struggle. It doesn't matter whatever the, the culture seems to be saying to you in your heart. It doesn't matter what your mental health state. It doesn't matter any of these things. We must build our foundation on these two facts. The fact that we know that Christ rose from the dead. Amen. 
and the fact that we have trusted him as our savior. And if he, if we've trusted him as our savior, there is hope. If death could not defeat him, then death cannot defeat us. If fear could not defeat him, then fear cannot defeat us. If sin could not win the victory over him, then it cannot win the victory over us. If the grave could not hold him, it cannot hold us because we have trusted him and he's given to us that victory. Let me read you two or three verses and we'll be finished. The Bible says this in in verse number 55, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. My friends, this is not fictitious. This is not a fairy tale. This is not Disney. This is the truth, my friends. He rose from the dead and we can trust him for our salvation. And from this foundation of truth, we can go forward in hope. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you find, what situation you may find yourself in. I felt led to share just a few of my own personal stories. I'm sure you have some amazing stories just like that. But in case that you don't, I'd like to ask you these very simple questions. If you died today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? I'm asking you the same question that God asked me that night in Nepal. When my heart was searching for something, he brought me back to my salvation. When the Corinthians were searching for something, the Apostle Paul rehearsed his salvation and rehearsed when he preached to them and they received. Have you? Do you know for sure that you've received Christ as your Savior? We're not looking to receive a religion. We're looking to receive a person. That person is spiritual. That person is real. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's here. We know him. We feel him. He's speaking to us now. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Is that you? Or do you have some doubts? I'd like to address both crowds. The first one is this, just by way of testimony. I know for sure that I'm saved. That if I died, I'd go to heaven. I know that for sure. If you know that, would you slip your hand up? Would you do that, please? You know for sure that you're saved. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much for being honest. Now, I'd like to ask if you don't know that for sure. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to describe you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I will not point you out. I want to pray for you. Now, many hands went up, but there may be one or two. And you say, Pastor Corey, I have some doubts. If I died, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. If you have some doubts about that, and you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up quietly so I can see that? Is there anybody like that here this morning? Thank you so much. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? You have some doubts. You're just not sure. Thank you so much for your honesty. Last question. Are you building your life 
on the foundation of that hope that Christ rose from the dead and that he has saved your soul. Are you living for yourself or are you living for him? Maybe you have doubts about something. Maybe there's something about faith and you just have some doubts. Would you be willing to do what the Apostle Paul was led to do? Would you bring your doubt to Jesus and just tell him and watch him deal with your doubts? I'm not the one that can give anyone assurance. He's the one that does that himself. I can't save anyone. He does the saving. Friend, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, if you would, please, just right where you are. We're going to close the service with a prayer. After the prayer, we're going to sing a simple chorus together. And after the chorus, we'll be dismissed. But as I pray the closing prayer, if God spoke to your heart about something, this is the time to talk to him. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for an opportunity to preach your word. Thank you that it is so clear. God, I pray for the one who is not sure that if they died, they'd go to heaven. I pray their heart would be open to your truth that they would receive assurance from you. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray for the one who may be experiencing some doubts in their life. God, you rescued me from my doubts and you want to rescue all of us from ours. Bring that person and bring us all to the place of a firm faith. I pray that we would build our lives on the truth of the resurrection and on the truth that we are saved. Thank you for your goodness. Bless us this week in Jesus' name. Amen.